Good morning, Oldham Lane family and guests. So thankful you tuned in this morning. So grateful that we have this opportunity to meet, even though it's not face-to-face. I want to let you know that we are going to continue through the rest of this year our series on Sunday mornings on Jesus Is, and we're coming to the wind-down portion of that series. Next year, I'm excited. We have a lot of different series planned, a lot of different lessons in the works as we relate to our theme of I Love My Church. I think it's going to be a great theme and one that will be welcomed after all this COVID mess, hopefully, which is over with very soon. We're going to look at some different things next year. We're going to do some series on on marriage and spiritual warfare and all things to try to make us better as children of God. But this morning, we continue our Jesus Is series as we wind things down for the year. You know, one of my favorite pastimes is sitting on the front porch just staring at the hills some people call them mountains but looking south of town at the hills enjoying the beautiful sunsets I like to eat my ice cream out on the front porch pralines and pecan by the way the only type of ice cream that's any good and I'd sit there and I I look at the different scenery that's around me I look at my beautiful wife who a lot of times is sitting out there with me as well and I just take it all in it also reminds me while I'm sitting there that I'm getting older. That's what older people do, isn't it? They sit on the porch and they reminisce and they look at different things, but it's a reminder to slow down as much as anything, to relax, to kind of take it all in. You know, we say stop and smell the roses. That's kind of what it is, to just relax and be still. How many of you have been racing towards the wrong finish line? Maybe the finish line was five o'clock, the end of the workday, And you work tirelessly all day to get to 5 o'clock. And in the process, you miss some things. You've been working so hard that you forget to eat. Or maybe it's something more important. Maybe you were racing towards retirement. And you missed being with your kids, being with your family. Maybe it's something like uh, recreation or, or, or something that was harmful to your body. And you're racing towards that that next fix. And in the process, you damaged relationships, damaged your own body. You know, tragedy starts by running the wrong race to begin with. And there are too many people that are running the wrong race toward the wrong finish line and straining for the wrong prize. In the Gospel of John, the writer begins by sitting us on the front porch and giving us a beautiful view of creation. Let's read it. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So like Matthew and Luke, John begins his gospel with the birth of Jesus. Not exactly in the same way. Rather than starting with Jesus in a manger in Bethlehem, John begins with the first words of the Bible. In the beginning. Thus reminding us that Jesus was there with God, with the Holy Spirit, at the creation of all things. Before any beginning began, Jesus was. Remember these words from John in chapter 8? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. 
Jesus is making the same claim that God made in Exodus chapter 3. He's claiming timeless existence. He's saying, I am the self-existent one. In other words, Jesus, like God, had no beginning and he will have no end. Now, you fast forward to the book of Revelation, chapter 8. John is exiled on the island of Patmos and he receives the revelation. By the way, it's singular, right? How many times you hear people say revelations? It's revelation. And he receives the revelation from Jesus Christ. Notice how it opens. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Now, the Greek grammar in Revelation is pretty choppy and difficult at times, and this is certainly one of those places. The original text literally reads the being that he was and the coming. Now, that sounds a little confusing and a bit unusual, but the meaning would not have been lost on the original audience. The terminology that's used by John here describes God, the powerful, almighty God, and it had powerful implications for the original audience. The phrase translated him who is in Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 is the Greek form of I am that we read about in Exodus 3 14. There is no doubt that the ones reading John's letter for the first time way back when would have hearkened into their minds back to the deliverance of Israel. They knew that story very well. They would have connected the dots between the God of Exodus and the God of Revelation. They would have also clearly seen the connection that John was making between those two stories and how God was not intimidated by Pharaoh and rescued his people and how God is certainly not intimidated by the emperor and will again rescue his people. The God who had delivered his people from the past could certainly deliver them again. Although everywhere the people turned, it seemed as though they were losing. God was still God and he was the one who is and the one who was to come. You know, Isaiah employed similar terminology. You can see it in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, for instance, where it reads, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. You go over to Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 12. The prophet says, Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I called, I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. Isaiah is pointing directly at the Godhead. As well as passing on a promise to God's people, there is hope because God is not only creator, he is also finisher. And he's going to finish what he started. Now, look at verse 8 of Revelation chapter 1. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You probably already know this, but Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet, while Omega is the last. Alpha to Omega indicates completeness. It's what we've been talking about all along and what we see scattered throughout Scripture. Incidentally, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph, and the last word is is tau. The last letter, I should say, is tau. The rabbis taught that Adam broke the law, but Abraham kept it from Aleph to tau. Rabbis would also say that God had blessed Israel from Aleph to tau, meaning that God is absolutely complete. He is transcendent. He was the first. He is the last. He is lacking in nothing. He was before time began. He is now, and he will be when time ends. So, 
Jesus starts with this truth. I am the Alpha and the Omega, which is very fitting when you understand the context and the reason for the revelation. I've said it before, but we look at the book of Revelation oftentimes as intimidating, as rather confusing, but we also see it as very dark and gloomy. It's like a doom and gloom type of book when really nothing could be further from the truth. While it is confusing, while it is a bit intimidating, and while it may seem a little dark, the message of Revelation is a beautiful message of hope. These people who are reading this, the original audience, they were facing persecution. The setting that they were in is very different than the setting you're in this morning. They were not sitting in cushioned pews in a climate-controlled building. They certainly weren't sitting on their couch watching, you know, and listening to a service. They were in desperation. They were under persecution. And revelation is the response God hears the desperation of his people. He heard them crying out in the desert, and he certainly hears them crying out from Rome. Just as he hears his people crying out from the nursing home and from the hospital every day, just as he hears them crying out from the cemetery and from the funeral home, God hears us when we cry. And like the persecuted people of Revelation, we may often say, why doesn't God do something? And the answer is, he has. He is, and he will. You look over at Revelation chapter 22, starting in verse 12, it reads, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The revelation ends the same way it began, by Jesus reiterating the point that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What he started, he will finish. God is in control. Jesus is the solution. And because of this, we win. The story of God's people doesn't end in persecution or death before any beginning Jesus was and after every ending Jesus will be you know articles open and close books open and close movies open and close people are born and then they die no one lives outside of these boundaries no one except the one who began all beginnings and continues after all endings as I said a moment ago too many folks too many Christians even are running the wrong race, running towards the wrong finish line, and straining for the wrong prize. Some shoot out of the starting blocks like their hair is on fire. It reminds me of when I was teaching school and I had a class of elementary PE students. And I had some little kindergartners, and I told them that, you know, we're going to get more fit and we're going to run one lap around the track. And they all started off so fast, they didn't pace themselves. And most of them walked across the finish line. Most of them actually gave out before the first turn because they were running so diligently. You know, hanging in there is the hardest part. We all need stamina and endurance if we're going to run this Christian race. Some veer off course, which is an easy thing to do. I read an article not long ago about how one year, uh, one, one year at the Bangalore Marathon, the front runners were uh, following a pace car And the pace car uh, turned the wrong way and ended up two and a half miles off course. And so the runners that were in the lead had to ask some villagers for some money so that they could take a train back to the finish line. It's easy to do. It's easy to veer off course, especially when you're following the wrong person or going in a worldly direction. But still others simply quit. 
They don't lack stamina. They don't veer off course. They just quit because running for them is too much. It's too difficult to maintain the pace, and so they drop out. It's kind of like the guy who decided he was going to undergo hypnosis to quit smoking. His friend asked him, do you think it'll work? And he said, well, it worked the last time. You know, so often we have the best intentions starting out. But when it gets hard, we drop out. You know, so many people this time of year decide that they're going to make a New Year's resolution. They're going to quit smoking. They're going to get fitter. They're going to read their Bible more. And, you know, January 1 comes around and they're all in. And then by February or March, they realize, you know, this is hard. And they drop out. You know, it may seem easier to quit, but it's certainly more costly. Can we get a do-over for 2020? You know, it's bad enough that this was an election year. We knew going into 2020 we were going to have to endure all the puking back and forth with an election year, right? But then came COVID. And we got over COVID. It seemed like we were getting back to normal, and then it surged again, and now it seems like it's worse than ever. And then, of course, you had all the dealings in our culture with the division that is happening. Can we get a do-over? It's been difficult times for sure this year. And during all of this, I've heard a phrase that I'm sure you've heard as well over and over again. People have said, these are certainly uncertain times. And that is true. But you know what? It's always been true. We have always lived in uncertain times. And even when we get past COVID or whatever else comes our way, we're still going to live in uncertain times. We will continue to be uncertain about the future we can gripe about the world around us. We can shout, that's not fair. We can blame and name call. We can even feel sorry for ourselves and fight and gripe. But what we cannot do is lose sight of the finish line. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but through our outer, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look at not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, Paul says, don't focus on the things you can see because when you do that, you lose sight of the unseen. You lose sight of the goal. So you focus on the unseen. That's where you start. Don't start with the five senses. Don't start with what you can taste and, and feel and smell and hear. That's not the starting line. For kingdom citizens, the starting line is the unseen. And if you start at the wrong place, you can't be shocked when you come up lost. I heard one minister state it this way. When all you see is what you see, you do not see all that there is to be seen. When I start with what I see... I start with problems. I start with chaos. I start with, with all the tribulation, and I immediately get off track. You don't start with your problems. You, you get into feelings and emotion that way, and you, and you react out of anger, and thus you react in ways that are unchristlike most often. But when I start with the unseen, I don't start with what I feel. I don't start with what I think, because that doesn't really matter. I have a standard. 
I have a word that is sure and true and reliable, so when there's chaos all around me, I can see past it to the finish line. When I focus on what I see and hear and touch and taste and feel, I lose hope. I may become depressed. I might even lose confidence in God, but when I focus on the finish line, on the unseen, I'm able to see God in the mess, and I'm able to keep running even though I am winded and can barely even go on. You know, racing teams on the NASCAR circuit employ pit crews. And these pit crews are there so that periodically the race car comes in, stops, they change tires, they refuel, and they do all this in like 15 seconds. It's amazing to watch. I'm not a NASCAR fan, but I think it's impressive what these pit crews can do. But you know what? A pit crew would never consider changing out an engine during the middle of the race. I mean, that's a recipe for losing. They fine-tune the car so that they can keep it going and keep racing towards the finish line. For a piano recital, before that, that, that person sits down to play the piano for their recital, somebody tunes the piano. They don't build a brand new piano right there on the spot. A pilot flying a plane doesn't decide to change out a wing mid-flight. They make the necessary tweaks and adjustments while they're in flight so that they can get to their destination. Same is true with us as Christians. We make corrections and adjustments in safe increments. Running this marathon of faith, we constantly do that. We become a new creature in Christ when we obey the gospel, when we are baptized. But we don't keep getting baptized over and over again every time that we mess up. We fine-tune our character as we mature and as we develop into a faithful follower of Jesus. And that's really what Paul is referencing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, when he speaks about being renewed day by day. I mean, because what happens when we don't pay attention to detail? Well, if if a pit crew doesn't pay attention to detail, then the team is going to lose the race. You play a piano that hasn't been tuned, and your recital's not going to go as well. You'll never reach the finish line of faith without regular adjustments, without regular updates or fine-tuning. Instead of focusing on your circumstances, focus on fixing the things in your life that will bring you closer to God. Paul says... All those things happening to you and around you, they're momentary and light compared to what awaits you in eternity. They may seem catastrophic, and in fact, in this life, they may be, but they'll turn out to be minuscule. The moment you cross the finish line, you'll immediately stop caring about all your affliction. Victory in Jesus renders all suffering and hardship null and void. But in the meantime, we follow Paul's protocol in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, where he writes, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, Let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Man, so much of what Paul says reminds me of a coach. I think that's why I like Paul so much. Yeah, he was a child of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's reason enough to like him. But Paul, 
uses coach speak over and over. I can see him as a, like this motivational Newt Rockney type saying, keep fighting, don't quit, give it everything you've got. Both Philippians chapter 4 and 2 Corinthians 4, Paul is saying basically, stay focused. Stay focused on the finish line. He tells the Corinthians, don't lose heart, even though your outer man is decaying. Don't get lost in what is seen. You're getting older. The world is getting more and more immoral and corrupt. Sickness is more and more prevalent. Death seems like it's winning. But what you need to be doing is focusing on finishing. Where were Paul's eyes? And don't say in his head. Look at what he says just prior to verses, what he said just prior to verses 16 through 18. He says in verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. I picture Paul pausing and focusing on his own life here. It had been a difficult life. Ever since he signed up to, to be a proclaimer rather than a persecutor, it was a difficult life. There were shipwrecks, there were stonings, there, there were floggings and imprisonment and, and constant threats to his life. What kept him going? I think we could easily say it was a sharp focus. He's reminding the Corinthians to stay focused on the finish. Races are not always won by the fastest. Races are won by those who keep hanging on. Those who persist are those who prevail. So what, if, what does all this racing talk have to do with Jesus being the Alpha and the Omega? Well, a lot, actually. The finish line for this marathon of faith is Jesus. Incidentally, the start line for this marathon of faith is Jesus as well. The great Alpha created a world that sin destroyed. The great Omega ended that era with a flood and yet preserved Noah and his family. The great Alpha created the nation of Israel to be a light of all the other nations. They failed miserably, so the great Omega put a stop to the blatant disobedience by having them hauled away into captivity, yet he preserved a remnant. Genesis shows us a perfect garden created by the great Alpha that sin corrupted. Revelation shows us how the great Omega put an end to the curse of sin and restores fellowship with him and creating another garden. Paul stated it this way. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I often use that verse in funerals, and while it may seem a little out of context to do that, I think it has a lot to do with our life and how we live this life. What the great Alpha starts, the great Omega finishes. The starting line for you was baptism. I realize some people treat the, the uh, baptism as the finish line. It's not, not even close. Baptism is the starting point. It's the starting line. The start line is baptism, and what you're doing now is you're running the race of your life. And at some point, either when you die or Christ returns, whichever happens first, you will cross the finish line and you will see, receive your crown. But for now, your only task is to keep running and to finish well. Regardless of what's going on around you, no matter what you're dealing with, despite whatever it is you're going through, you push yourself to finish, keeping your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, because he started all of this, and he will most definitely finish it. I am told that there are two critical times during a marathon. The start and the halfway point. 
As the runner leaves the starting line, it's important for them to pace themselves. What happens all too often is a runner shoots out of the starting block or leaves the start line and they see everyone else running at a certain pace and they want to keep up. They want to stay towards the front rather than running at a pace that is sufficient for them so that they can have enough left in the tank when it's all said and done. The second critical point in a race, a marathon, I'm told, is the halfway point. When a runner has run half the mileage and realizes they have just that much still to go. It can work on a runner's psyche. I just ran 13 miles. Oh, I got 13 more miles to go. Sometimes we call this hitting the wall. Well, you have to find enough stamina, enough in the tank to finish. But those who push through the pain and find a way to endure are those who cross the finish line victorious. They may not win, but they still achieve something great, though it may not seem like it at the time. I can remember standing at the finish line in Boston waiting for my wife to come across the finish line. And I'm standing there ready to cheer her on. We have this little app on our phone that you can kind of keep track of her. And I see her cross the finish line and I'm going, way to go, girl. And she's anything but elated. She's exhausted, she's staggering, she eventually falls to her knees, and race officials come over, they put this shiny blanket over her, and they escort her to the, the medical tent. I'm not allowed to go in, so I'm sitting there thinking, I hope she's okay. And after some time, I guess she got some fluids and an IV, she walks out with the medal around her neck. She didn't win, but she won something that day. And that's when we could celebrate a little bit, and I, I, I can't I couldn't help but make the spiritual connection on the plane ride home. I, I thought about how we run the marathon of faith and how we push to finish. And we may hit that wall. It may seem like we can't go on, but we just keep running and we keep running. And when we fall across the finish line completely exhausted, that's all that's going to matter is that we actually finished. And all the turmoil, all the things that we went through to get there in the end will all be worth it. I want to say this to you this morning. If you are running the wrong race this morning, I hope you lose. You heard me correctly. I hope you lose. The best thing that could happen to you if you're running the wrong race towards the wrong finish line, straining for the wrong prize, the best thing that could happen to you is that you lose. Lose now so that you don't lose in eternity. If you are tempted uh, to quit, I would like to say to you, don't, because quitting doesn't make things easier. It may seem like it does, but it'll cost you a whole lot more in the end. It's harder to live life as a quitter than to keep running when you're exhausted. If you've hit the wall, which many of us have, especially during this year, if you've hit the wall, find your focus again. Let us help you. That is why the church exists, to lift up the losers to encourage the quitters, and to carry the exhausted. I love you. May God bless you and keep you.